Hello everyone, welcome to Then Now Whatever, the wrestling podcast. Back again with episode 45 and another edition of the Tape Trader Diaries. I'm your host, the Doctor Among Men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined once again by the hardest working Triple H Mark in show business, it's Mr. Kyle Cambry. Hello, it's good to be back for another episode of our Tape Trader Diaries. Good to hear from you, Kyle. How's things been going? It's great to hear from you as well, Dunk. Spent a week in Prague over the half term and got engaged. <laughs> People said that you might feel different when you're engaged, but I don't feel different. But I'm happy with that. Less pressure. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Prague is a beautiful place. Yeah, it's one of those places. I was saying to Steph while we was walking around that... You can sort of see where these programs like Game of Thrones and The Witcher sort of build their worlds from. You know, the sort of European countries like that. Ah, sure. Because there was a lot of like architecture there that I was like, it wouldn't go amiss being in an episode of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved all the bridges and stuff. Yeah, Charles Bridge is incredible. That's the one. When we went down there we went at the foot of the bridge and there was this beautiful bit of street art of it's some kind of famous painting of a couple kissing and then next to that was this really cute gift shop with the little music boxes oh yeah and they play things like stairway to heaven and Beatles songs the mural that we saw that was at the end of charles bridge was john lennon and people had written on the wall the names and stuff which was really cool yeah the London war yeah oh nice it's been pretty exciting over here as well work has been pretty good we're doing some kind of migration and we all sat in our team and we watched it on a call and there was like a white space in a parameter that was breaking things and I spotted it and I was like yes I am an elite hacker <laughs> And then our tech lead gave all of our team credits on our internal award system and was enough to cash out for an Amazon voucher. So that'll be handy in the future as well. Oh, wow. Brilliant. Yeah, so lots going on and lots going on in wrestling as well. Yes, very much so. We'll talk a little bit more modern wrestling in the halftime break, but... Today's episode is winding us back right to the very end of the big WCW and WWF war. On our last episode, we were looking at King of the Ring 2001. WCW had already been purchased. The next tape on our list was Invasion, but I feel like King of the Ring itself didn't really do justice to the situation at WCW before its buyout and how much of that company in its current state actually got to affect the storylines on WWF television going into the invasion. Yeah. 
So what we've got here are a couple of episodes of television, one from WCW, one from WWF, that actually aired on free UK TV. So Muggins here will have seen both of these. Yeah, and after my experience of watching both, you can probably guess of which I found the more watchable. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just say... Both shows were from when both companies were in a state of flux and one company seemed to be coping with it a great deal better than the other. (laughs) So we've got one episode of WCW Worldwide and one episode of Sunday Night Heat. We're going to dive right in first of all to WCW Worldwide. This is the international edition that aired on Channel 5 in the glory days on January the 12th, 2001. Those are the good old days. Funnily enough, there is wrestling on Channel 5 again, Kyle. Really? Yeah, it's relegated to 5 action now. But WWE have a deal for showing Raw and SmackDown highlights and NXT UK there. Ah, right, okay. So, all these people say AEW's only popular because it's on free TV. (laughs) I'm really excited about this. This is a real chance to deep dive into how I had to live as a wrestling fan at this time. I should point out as well, so this episode of Worldwide that we're looking at, it's a privately listed YouTube video. Somebody, I cannot remember who, Bing, Duncan from the future here, nicking Kirk Hamilton's gimmick from Strong Songs. It turns out friend of the show Kit at For Kit's Sake posted this on their thread all about WCW's Batman 1960s TV show level censorship of hardcore spots. Go ahead and give them a follow and they're also a regular contributor to the Greenlit podcast if you want to go and check them out. That's at greenlit underscore pod. I'll include a link to Kit's thread in the show notes so you can go and check out this show at your leisure. Okay, back to our regular show. Bing! So I guess, Kyle, you could consider this the modern tape trading. Yes, very much so. Commentary for this show come from Scott Hudson and the living legend Larry Sabisco. It's not quite complete and the first match just kind of starts in progress. It's a triple threat match. Three counts Shannon Moore, accompanied by Shane Helms, taking on Evan Courageous, who's accompanied by Jamie Noble, and the Young Dragons Yang, accompanied by Leia Meow. Any names familiar to you here, Kyle? Shannon Moore, definitely. Evan Courageous, for a, a little bit during that match, I felt looked like Shane Helms. It obviously wasn't. I and mean, he's the only one that I didn't really recognise out of that. But yeah, it's quite strange going back and looking at the WCW guys when you weren't familiar with them up until them coming into WWF. For sure. As we go through these matches, I'm going to go through where they ended up in the immediate future from this show. Not a lot of these guys ended up on television again straight away. But it's funny you talk about Evan looking like Shane because he was in free count with Shane and Shannon mm. before he kind of got kicked out into 
this storyline here. And this was kind of the dominating feud in WCW's cruiserweight division, trying to restore some prestige and interest into that style of wrestling again after all the Russo-rific stuff. Yeah, the other thing that I noticed as well, <laughs> obviously it's part of the times. WWF were guilty of this as well. Leah Meow. <laughs> what a name that is. <laughs> oh, God. I only learnt this from my research. She was Kimona? Yeah, Kimona Wanalea, I think it was. Yeah, so she was famous for being a manager in ECW as well. Mm. Very strange names. I'm sure there was better in the in the pile. You'd have hoped so, but then again, if you'd have seen the amount of racial discrimination lawsuits that WCW had to put up with and the details around that, it shouldn't really come as much of a surprise. Yeah. Immediately, we get more doing a round-the-world arm drag to Yang, and then a fest press on Evan. At ringside, Shane Helms seems to be miming a fan that they need to brush their teeth. The referee in this match is very ginger. Yeah. I don't think we really get very many ginger referees. No, I can't think of any. (laughs) Holy fuck. Evan gorilla-pressed Yang over the top and right to the floor. Zabisco quips, Yang dig bang! And Scott queries, I beg your pardon! <laughs> Leia and Jamie start arguing on the outside and Leia seemed to enjoy it. There's then a chaotic-looking spinebuster by Evan. Shane got sent into the barricade and that allowed Yang to hit the dragon driver... Otherwise known as Frankie Kazarian's Fade to Black. On Shannon Moore, and that gets the free count, and Yang is the winner. Kyle, what did you make to this as an opener? Considering on the tape you sort of just get thrust into it, it wasn't too bad actually. There were some nice spots. Yang, who I've just worked out, is obviously Jimmy Wang Yang. Sure. It's literally just come to me as you said Yang, and I was like, oh my god, obviously it's Jimmy Wang Yang. <laughs> Yeah, I thought there was a few nice spots. The problem that I have when I watch any WCW stuff is because I always say I like storylines and I like to know what's going on, Mm. I do find myself quite detached from watching WCW matches. Now, obviously, the more WCW we delve into, which is what we are starting to do, you know, I'll start to get the gist of storylines here, there and everywhere. But as a match, I thought that it was quite fluid and was quite good considering it you know, it's not a, a main show. Yeah, there's a lot of players involved in this feud, so I guess it's kind of hard to get that across and not just do a best match that you can from a, an in-ring work rate standpoint. Yeah. Personally, I thought some of Evan's moves looked a bit unhinged. You know, he's got this weird technique, and I was a bit worried someone was going to get hurt from that. I feel like that's been a problem when we've seen him on the podcast in the past, but Besides that, I rather liked what I saw. This is a perfectly fine opener, really. It's not quite at the level of the cruiserweight action that would have made the company famous, but it's a whole heap of young guys in there trying different stuff, and yeah, you get some interesting things out of it. Yeah. Going into the context of where people ended up ahead of the invasion... 
Shane Helms would actually become the Cruiserweight Champion by the time the company was sold. Although he'd actually lose the title on the first WCW match on SmackDown. Mm. Shannon, Evan, Yang and Noble were also picked up by the WWF, but they got sent to the HWA, which is one of their developmental territories. And Leia got fired before the invasion took place due to roster cuts. WCW, when they were <laughs> budget cutting Kyle, this would be familiar to modern years now. <laughs> yeah. Only they literally did have to cut the budget because they were losing like 80 million a year or whatever it was. They gave the pink slip to a whole bunch of their women wrestlers and on-screen talent and Leia was unfortunately a part of that. I mean, I'll, I'll be totally honest, due to the name she needed releasing and repackaging. According to the Pro Wrestling Wikia page on her, she retired in February of 2001. So, Well, there we go. <laughs> she obviously had a reason not to choose to stick around the wrestling industry. Yeah. Kyle, we're not even five goddamn minutes into this show and we're already in trouble because for our second match, out comes Ian Harrison and Scott Hudson quips that he's a brigand from Wigan. Yeah, it did make me chuckle. And I've never in my life heard Wigan hyped so much ever. It was really weird and freaked me out. (laughs) Yes, it has quite a big lineage with... Kind of like the old-timey British grappling. Mm. He's competing in the second match of the night against the Misfits in Actions, Sergeant Awol. I don't know if you noticed this, Kyle, but when Harrison was coming out, did you see that they'd lowered the frame rate of the picture? Yeah, I did notice the change. Weird stuff. I don't really understand the kind of thought process that goes into that. No. It's kind of like very like a strobe disco or something. Yeah, there's a bit later on as well that they change it for. It's really odd. Harrison wasn't actually on the WCW roster. This was kind of like a tryout match. And this made me realise that this show was filmed on WCW's final UK tour. And from the looks of it, it's in the MEN as well. I thought it did look familiar. And when it said Manchester, I was a bit like... Yeah, it's got to be the MEN, surely. I remember Goldberg was on Granada Reports plugging this show, and I was like, what, WCW are here? And there was obviously no chance we were going to get to go. <laughs> no. Oh, Wall had brought a table with him. We'll see if that comes into play. We open with a cheap shot by Ian, because of course the dude in his home country has to play the heel in this match. <laughs> Commentary complained about it being cold in the industrial city of Manchester, England. As if you're actually there. Come on. (laughs) Nobody's buying that. No. Harrison chokes Wall on the ropes forever without getting DQ'd. Refs are slacking tonight. Yeah, more to come. (laughs) He got a lot of help with a slam on the wall. And Larry quips... No problem picking up the Sarge. <laughs> the big boot got ducked and both men collided. 
the crowd sound very, very young and surprisingly into this match. Yeah, I was kind of, as I was watching this, thinking, am I missing something here? Why am I really into this? I mean, like, think about it when you're, like, eight, nine, ten years old. I don't think your work rate demands are quite so high. Yeah, okay, true. <laughs> oh, Ian, get the table! <laughs> I was a bit Paddy McGuinness, sorry. That, that, that absolutely was. <laughs> what the wall? See the wood! <laughs> he sets it up in the ring to absolutely no protest from the referee, only to run right into Wall's choke slam through the table, and that gets the free count. Sergeant A. Wall is the winner in an ultra basic and lumbering big man match with very little charm or substance and. A terrible finish. I don't think I can add to that. I think you've pretty much summed that up. <laughs> what a crock of shit. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Straight through the table and then pin him. Right, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. I feel like Russo is gone by this point, but this is still the kind of hangover from his <laughs> style of stewardship. Yeah. Ian wouldn't turn up in the WWF because he instead signed for the XWF. Mm. You familiar with that show at all, Kyle? All I know is it had something to do with Jimmy Hart. Yeah, it was kind of Jimmy Hart and Hulk Hogan's little baby. They got a little bit of start-up capital and recorded a few shows for a prospective TV show, but nothing really came of it. A whole bunch of names wound up there, like Mr. Perfect, Bobby Heenan, Sable, Roddy Piper. It was kind of like one of those early embryonic attempts to make another competitor before everything kind of solidified around TNA. Right, yeah. Sergeant AWOL was signed to a developmental deal with the WWF, but then he left for personal reasons, and unfortunately he'd pass away in December of 2003, aged 36. Oof. That's no age, is it? Not at all, no. I loved the Misfits in action when I was growing up, Kyle. I loved the camo and all of that. Yeah. And the double entendres were kind of lost on me because I couldn't quite tell what commentary was saying. Hugh Morris's character, he was General Rection. And I just thought they were calling him General Wreck Ship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what name I gave myself when I imagined myself in the Misfits in action, but it definitely did not have any double entendre to it. <laughs> On to our third match. And it's Queewee, accompanied by Paisley, taking on the hardcore wiggler, screaming Norman Smiley. It's good to see Norman. Yes, Norman is one of my boys from being a WCW fan. Queewee's music sounded pretty similar to... Do you remember that Black Legend song? The one that was like a Barry White sample? See you trouble Oh, yeah. 
Can't feel yeah. nothing. It's got that kind of like club drum beat, like dun, 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 boom, 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 kind of thing to it. That was not a good representation of it whatsoever. Don't trust my interpretation. Go and Google it yourself. It's the only interpretation we've got. <laughs> <laughs> Big chance for Norman back in his homeland. And he does a cool arm drag counter rotating out of a backdrop. Jigs to celebrate and then clotheslines Queewee. That made Queewee mad and he comes back with tons of strikes. Kooky chain wrestling and a springboard sunset flip that Norman could not wiggle out of. But Norman gets back up and hits his awesome swinging scoop slam. I love that technique. He kind of like spins his opponent extra and hangs onto him and oh, it's just perfection. Someone needs to bring that back. At first, it looks like he's not got control of it, but the more he goes, then you're like, well, no, he's got perfect control of it. Yeah. The wiggle is cut off with a fez press, but then a wheelbarrow is blocked and Norman spanks Queewee before flapjacking him. Then we get a leapfrog and a victory roll for a near fall. Norman escapes a backslide with a stalling butterfly suplex for a two count. He then sells a cheap shot from Queewee, horribly, but... Oh, I guess he was playing possum because he escaped an Irish whip with the cross-faced chicken wing in a really smooth transition. They got the tap out to give Norman Smiley the victory. What do you think of this one, Kyle? Who the fuck is Queewee? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it was one of those matches where you, t- you just knew that Smiley would win. And... Yeah, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't have much to say about that match. Yeah, Queewee's a bit of an unfortunate name. Kind of developing a theme here, aren't we? <laughs> I mean, it's that bad that I had to do a little bit of research to find out who he is. So I'll let you carry on and then I'll see if you mention what I found. <laughs> okay. Norman was obviously the one that offered the coolest stuff in their match. He had some smooth technique. Besides some fits of aggression, I don't think Queery really offered anything that much. And he almost looked kind of KO'd for half of the match. Like, he was a bit out of place and stuff. So, you know, this was all right. I've got lots of time for Norman, so I think that carried me through the match. Yeah, definitely. Kyle, do you recognise Paisley? Yes. Is that... Booker T's wife. Tis indeed, yes. Charmel. Yes. Yeah, thought it was. She actually got sent to OVW. She was kind of training to be an in-ring wrestler, but got a bad injury. And so they transitioned her into a backstage interviewer. And she actually started being an interviewer on SmackDown in November. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I do not remember that at all. Smiley wasn't hired, and so he has a few stints in the XWF and WWA. I guess he's kind of got a bit of a career rehabilitation as one of the NXT trainers. Queewee, Kyle. Yes. He did actually get signed by the WWF, but he never got used and was quickly released. And I think he wound up in the WWA. His real name is Alan Funk. Okay. What did you find on him in the, your research? Right, so when he signed for TNA in 2002, he... 
at all. Was in a homosexual tag team called the Rainbow Express. Oh, okay. That tag team lasted all of four months. <laughs> and in that time, he also won Miss TNA. Oh, you <laughs> So, yeah, there you go. That was my little tidbit that I found. <laughs> Jeez. I suppose he had an advantage over the actual women in TNA at that time because he wasn't locked in a cage. <laughs> Very bizarre. Oh, yeah, I forgot that was him. God, they had some dodgy old gimmicks, didn't they? Oh, absolutely. Oh, speaking of dodgy gimmicks, here come the filthy animals. It's so weird seeing Rey Mysterio without a mask. (laughs) So weird. And his little horns on his head. Yeah. Billy Kidman even shits on them as well. Conan goes through his regular routine of the touch this, that's enough with Tigress and then his Aribalarasa routine with the crowd. He calls Boogie Knights, team of Disco Inferno and Alex Wright, Cranberries and tells them to get instant filthy animals. Just add water and mix. Ray says that Buggy Knights don't have the look, they can't wrestle, and they have no stilo, whatever that means. Then Kidman asks how Disco Inferno has a back injury when he spends all of his time on his knees. Wahey. Good one. <laughs> Alex Wright of the Buggy Knights comes out in response to this. Again, it's another frame rate creaky entrance. And he introduces a big surprise. The filthy animals are going to be wrestling chronic tonight. Oh, hang on. Brian Adams, who's dressed in a Welsh football shirt, reveals that Wright only paid them enough for one of chronic to wrestle. So our fourth match of the evening is actually going to be a handicap match. It's Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio of the filthy animals, accompanied by Tigress and Conan, taking on Brian Clark of chronic. God, you remember those old Welsh... Kappa footy tops. Yeah. I can't believe they were around that early, though. It is very strange seeing some things from back in the day. (laughs) I know. I wouldn't have pegged Brian Adams to be a footy fan. Mm. He must have got it for free or something. (laughs) So Clark overpowers Billy, only to eat a head scissors and a drop kick. Ray tags in with a spring ball drop kick, followed by Kidman's baseball slide Rochambeau, as Scott Hudson put it, and the Bronco Buster. Clark blocked Ray's wheelbarrow and slammed him with authority, but Ray was then somehow able to DDT him and tag Kidman in for a bulldog. Kidman tried to slam Clark, that's not happening. But then equally stupidly, Clark tried to powerbomb Billy Kidman, and you don't powerbomb Billy Kidman. Nope. Mysterio hits the drop of the dime. Both men cover, but Clark still kicked out. Oh, whoa. (laughs) I take that back. Kidman actually did slam Clark. I would not have called that. Alex swiped Kidman's leg away, allowing Clark to hit a choke slam. 
Ray faces off with Adams on the outside after he started beating up Conan. And then another cheap shot by Wright sets up Billy for the meltdown to give Brian Clark the victory. I thought this match had good energy. The only problem was that some of the animals' hope spots were a bit too lacking in realism for me. Like, Billy Kidman slamming Brian Clark, come on. I've got to agree that I think it was your traditional smaller guys against the big guy sort of setup, and there were some nice spots, but ultimately it was kind of jarred. I just felt that they weren't at the same speed at times. You know, some of the things I didn't feel like they were on the same wavelength, but it, it was okay. You're not going to totally go wrong with Kidman and Mysterio in there, but I was not a fan of that story. I thought it was stupid. And it gave no explanation to the live crowd. No. And then Brian Adams got involved anyway. So he's doing this on what, overtime? As for where all these folks would end up, Kidman was signed and we'll see more of him next episode. Ray and Alex Wright were on Warner contracts, so they let those expire and sit them out to get their pay still. Tigress, oh I beg your pardon Kyle, I said Leia retired in February, it was Tigress that retired in February. Ah, right, okay. Conan would end up in the XPW, and then Chronic, oh boy, they wouldn't get signed by the WWF until September 2001. They had some terrible matches with The Undertaker and Kane. Clark got released for being unsafe. And then Adams left in November after getting sent to HWA. They were one of the most infamous blemishes on the whole invasion. On to our fifth match of the evening. And it's Scott Steiner taking on Vito. Steiner's wearing his chainmail and Scott Hudson calls it his Queen of the Nile thing. I don't think he'd say that to Scott's face somehow. No, I don't. Steiner gets on the mic and complains about Booker and Goldberg having a love fest the previous week. Well, he beat Goldberg's ass at Fall Brawl, and Booker only kept the title at Halloween Havoc because security saved him. At Mayhem, there'll be a cage and that won't happen. He'll take him out, party like a world champion, because a big bear booty daddy is getting horizontal! So strange. When Vito ran to the ring, he collided with the cameraman and Scott started arguing with Stevie Ray on the outside at the internet table, as the commentary team put it. That's actually the real commentary desk for the actual US versions of WCW, Thunder and Nitro. Can you imagine if you were listening to one of WWE's many dozens of international announced teams and they made out like the actual English language table was like oh that's that's the internet table that's just the nerds (laughs) yeah very odd this argument allowed Vito to jump Scott and Stevie even got a cheap shot in no DQ but Vito lowered his head too early from a whip and got clubbed and T-bone suplexed And that allows Scott Steiner to spit at Stevie. Gross. Scott does his typical routine. Belly to belly, push-ups, Steiner line, elbow drop, kissing his muscle. 
finally, Vito's able to duck a clothesline and springs to life with uppercuts, a double arm belly to belly suplex, a top rope elbow drop, and a top rope headbutt for a two count. The next time he climbs up, Scott crotches him, hits a T bone superplex, and locks in the Steiner recliner to get the submission. Post match, he confronts Stevie again, but then they cut to the next match before it even amounts to anything. Great. <laughs> Scott Steiner wins. Kyle, we're all aware of your opinions of Steiner. Did oh, you do enough posing for you here? <laughs> yeah, just about. <laughs> I mean, it was never in doubt who was going to win that match. It was entirely one-sided, even though there was times where it didn't seem like it should be. What a ridiculous match. I understand where you're coming from there. This is a very routine win for Steiner. His dominance was getting a little bit too belaboured, but then he finally let Vito get in some good hope spots, and it added a bit of life. The rule of thumb with Steiner matches for me, Kyle, is... When he's suplexing, it's a big yay. But when he's doing generic clubbering, it's much less of a yay. Yeah. Vito's contract wouldn't get picked up. He'd turn up eventually in the FBI a few years later. Steiner waited out his Warner contract and Stevie Ray would go on tour with the WWE. I'm sure you noticed already, Kyle, there's very few of these lads that would have any kind of influence on the invasion, so to speak. Sort of showing, really, isn't it, that everyone that was WCW-worthy at the time had already gone. You had the odd few, like Mysterio. DDP was obviously big at the, the time, but they were already on the move. Yes, there's a lot going on that, if you weren't paying attention to WCW and you... Like, think of WCW's peak period in your head if you're thinking about dream scenarios of this cross-promotion feud that we'd have on our hands. You'd end up being disappointed. Yeah. Speaking of DDP, though, it's time for our main event, which is a Lumberjack match, which features Diamond Dallas Page going up against one half of the WCW Tag Team Champions... Sean Stasiak. Good old Sean. I have not checked if he still follows us on Twitter or not, but I highly doubt it. Mm. Page was another guy who got a super low frame rate entrance, but Stasiak and the Lumberjacks didn't even get any entrance at all. Very odd. Yeah, being very economical with the time here. Both men talk trash, trade slaps, trade right hands until DDP spins out of Sean grabbing his leg and hits a clothesline. Page sent Sean out of the ring, but it was on the heel side of the Lumberjacks. Eventually he got impatient and hit a plancher onto all of the heels. This is a face Lumberjacks cue to start brawling with the bad guys and everybody brawls to the back, so, you know, so much for that stipulation. Stasiak gains control and hits a big jumping elbow, Kevin Nash comes to ringside and Stasiak hits a gut buster for two. Chuck Palumbo and Mark Gingerak eventually come to ringside as well. And Palumbo gets a cheap shot in right in front of the referee who did bugger all. Typical WCW fashion. The ref again is rubbish at breaking up choke spots in time. 
but DDP is able to get a big clothesline for a two count. Ref again being rubbish as Sean O'Hare comes out and distracts him, which allows Gingerak to hit a sneak attack. But DDP then leveled him, only for Stasiak to level DDP with the brass knucks. The referee counts to two, but gets pulled outside by Kevin Nash. Page escapes a scoop slam with a diamond cutter, but there's no referee. Most of the natural born thrillers then pile on Kevin Nash, except for Chuck Palumbo, who whacks Page with a chair, causing the now infamous Batman splat graphic to come on the screen. <laughs> oh, as soon as that happened, I just shouted bullshit at the screen. <laughs> I do not know how I Mandela affected myself into forgetting all about those graphics, Kyle. (laughs) I watched WCW near enough week in, week out most of the time, and I had zero memory of this whatsoever. Very, very odd and strange decision. Stasiak covers for free. Nash then argues with the referee after the match and ends up jackknife powerbombing him. We're then joined by WCW Cruiserweight Champion and Commissioner, above average Mike Sanders. What a fucking name. Imagine if you went out there, Kyle, to the ring and like, coming down the aisle, it's moderately adequate Kyle Cambray. (laughs) (sighs) They're not on form with the names, are they, Kyle? They're absolutely not. He sarcastically endorses Kevin Nash as the show closes out. So Sean Stasiak is the winner of the main event in a match that had very little of the magic of DDP here. He's a guy that can do wonders for anyone, but Stasiak, although he'd do a couple of good moves, he didn't really get that much shine here. And even with all the interference, this really felt... Like, it was beneath Diamond Dallas Page. He got little opportunity to properly legitimise Stasiak or help him show off what he could do. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We will see Stasiak, O'Hare and Palumbo again a little bit later on in the show. Jinderak would actually work some dark matches when he got signed by the WWF, but then he eventually got sent to the HWA. Sanders went straight to HWA. Nash waited out his Time Warner contract. But DDP, Kyle, this is a kicker. He actually bought himself out of his Warner contract so he could go to the WWF. Wow. Which makes the creative that he was given, shall we say, all the more annoying. Yeah. And you can sort of see exactly why he was a bit peeved when he was talking to Austin about it. For sure. Yeah, I did actually go and watch that episode of the Smoking School Sessions. He had some really interesting perspectives on his career. Yeah, definitely. That wraps up WCW Worldwide. Kyle, what are your thoughts? (laughs) I mean, I watched it. What do you want, a medal? (laughs) <laughs> I mean come on let's be honest with the facts here it's WCW International it's live from the MEN Arena okay I'll give it a star for that it was set in Manchester we like Manchester <laughs> we like the MEN it can have a star okay Rey Mysterio was in in the show he can have another gold star other than that 
it is what it is. I'm really, I'm really struggling with WCW. I'm hoping the next WCW thing that you get me to watch is going to blow me out of the water. I know, I keep promising this. You do keep promising this, and at the moment, <laughs> it's just a shower of shit. Look, they're obviously picking for scraps at this time. <laughs> they keep releasing loads of the genuine stars, and they're left with people who would mean a whole hell of nothing, typically, like, queerly. <laughs> yeah. It started out out of the blocks with its best match, and then... Everything after that got progressively worse. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And it just goes to show that the best thing about that show was the first match that you get thrown into. You don't even see the start of it. Yeah. This is around the time when I started like seeing, like, yeah, okay, they are kind of a bit inferior to the WWF now. Well, that's one show down. We'll take a quick halftime break. And let's discuss some modern wrestling, Kyle. Ooh, this is interesting. How modern? Well, I feel like there's two main topics of interest since we last recorded together in the world of wrestling currently. Okay. One was the Royal Rumble being a bit of a shit show. Yeah. And two is... Cody Rhodes leaving All Elite Wrestling. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll start with the furthest one back, which is the Rumble. It started off very well. I thought Rollins and Reigns, I thought that match was really, really good. The Women's Rumble. You get a lot of legends out there. Really cool to see Mickey James with the Impact Belt. I know we discussed on WhatsApp whether... You know, she might drop the belt and we don't have the Impact belt on there, but that was quite cool to see. I don't mind that Ronda's back. I like Ronda. We then move to Becky Lynch against Dewdrop. Okay match. Again, I don't feel like they sort of knew each other enough. There was quite a lot of jarred stuff in there. Bobby and Brock... Again, a decent match, you know. There's been a huge build-up. Bobby said for years that he wanted a match with Brock. Finally gets it. Roman, I understand his interference to get Brock to lose it. So I was cool with that. Edge and Beth against the Miz and Maurice. I actually thought it was a tidy match. Quite decent. Good to see Beth and Maurice back. And then we get to the 30-man Royal Rumble that everyone gets excited for. What a load of shit. (laughs) I was building myself up and I was thinking, we've got 29, Randy Orton's coming out. Who's coming out at 30? What's going to happen? Boom, Brock Lesnar comes out. As soon as his music hit, I knew he was going to win the match. Sure. My only hope when Lesnar came into the ring was, is Roman going to come in and do a screw job? That was my only hope, the only thing that I was clinging to. Did it happen? By God, did Vince make sure it didn't happen. Like I say, Rumble started, well, five stars out of five. It ended with maybe two stars. Was not impressed. So you're telling me, Kyle, it started with its best match. 
and then you liked it for having one star wrestler in it and then it got progressively worse kind of like wcw worldwide on january 12 2001 <laughs> right <laughs> i will compare wcw worldwide international with Brock Lesnar coming out. That is the only thing that that gets to be level with. Other than that, it does not touch Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble could have been the worst show in the world and it would still be better than that that I had to watch. <laughs> like I say, it's just really disappointing. I feel like they build you up so well and they build you up to this point of thinking, oh my God, they're going to do it. They're going to let loose. And then they don't. They reel back and they go safe. Totally unimaginatively safe as well. Yeah. Like you're saying, when Brock came out, you knew he was going to win. And then the actual in-ring stuff surrounding that is just plain old, oh yeah, Brock smash, that's it. Yeah. No semblance of drama whatsoever. No. Very, very disappointed. I re-upped my subscription specifically for this, just because it's Kathy's favourite show, and it was just a load of pants. Since we started podcasting, Kyle, I don't think we've really had a disappointing Royal Rumble. No, I'd agree with that, yeah. Before this year, last year's was probably the weakest one that we've had in the podcast. But overall, you get a lot of value out of it. But this show, it just sucked. It was really unimaginative and flat. I agree with you that the first match was the best match. I kind of hit a wall with Roman matches where you've got his opponent doing this absolute sick offence and then he just does his punch and kicks and we're supposed to believe that's exactly as devastating. Yeah. It was on fast forward, but it was a good match. The rest of the undercard was really, really disappointing. The mixed tag was the one thing that really served its purpose the best. It was good to see Edge and Beth have a great deal of fun, and Maurice really surprised me as well. But besides that, it's just diabolical. And the other thing for me as well, and I get that it's the situation that they get put in, and I get that it's sort of a build-up of storylines, but Madcap Moss and Happy Corbin, what is that? It's not WrestleMania worthy, is it? As far as the use of Drew goes. No. It's absolutely wasting him. Before all the budget cuts, a two-night WrestleMania made a lot of sense, but now here, if that's the kind of stuff that you're doing to buffer out a two-night WrestleMania, it's not really worth it, I don't think. No, they have to, at some point, go back to a a one-night mania. It makes it extra special. I feel that people work harder for that one night. I'll never forget an interview quite a few years ago that they had with Natalia. It was sort of one of these interviews where they're out of character and they're talking, you know, as themselves. And Natalia was saying that there would genuinely be tears and and hatred for the people getting that spot on Mania, and so they would work harder, and they would make sure that they were noticed, and they would make sure that they were in tip-top form to be on that Mania card. 
the fact that it's two nights now, now I'm at, at no point am I saying that nobody works hard. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you have it much easier. Wrestling has more than one royal family. Don't worry, Kyle. I'm sure Cody will come in and save everything. I am so excited. I mean, I've heard rumours that he's not coming back and that he's been a stay-at-home dad. And Until he appears on WWE television, it's not happening for me. But if it does, holy shit, I'm excited for that. It's an incredibly interesting situation. He gave up a heck of a lot. He seemed really embedded in the Warner Media family, like with all his spin-offs and stuff, and to think that supposedly he was just upset that he didn't have the book anymore. I'll wait to hear a bit more from the horse's mouth on that one. Yeah, I think there's definitely more to that. I'd also like to think that everything that Cody's gone through with his release from WWE and his build-up to creating AEW and all the influence that he's had, for him to come back to WWE and for him to work with Vince, there's got to be a lot of stuff on the line, you know, storyline-wise and a journey for Cody Rhodes, because there's no way that Cody Rhodes is coming back and doing a lot of gimmick shit storylines. That won't happen. So if Cody does sign, something good's happening. Yeah, you've got to believe he's going to get into this being a bit of a player. Absolutely. I feel like there's a real tension there that what on earth could come from this? Like, what's he expecting to get out of it? What are they willing to give him? What are we as wrestling fans going to have? Because a lot of his work in like, the last six months of his AEW one was absolutely batshit crazy. Yeah, absolutely for me. He deserves a world title. 100%. That's also my issue going back to where we're at at the moment with WWE. Is I don't like how long title holders hold a title for. Mm -hmm. There's pros and there's negatives. Because the, the pros of it is that, look at AJ Styles. The amount of time that he held on for it gave him that higher status. And that's the pro of it. But the con of it is that you want the chase and you want the, oh, he's lost the belt, is he going to win it back next month? Oh, he's won it back, or he's lost it again, is he going to win it back? You know, currently you've got two title holders that aren't dropping the belt unless it's against each other at Mania. What sort of influence and push is that for everyone else underneath them wanting to be a world title holder? Nothing. So if Cody came in, with Roman and Brock as champions. Now, I know one of them has to lose at Mania, theoretically, but if Cody was to come in, he's going to look at that and go, I'm not getting an opportunity, what's the point? Smackdown, when it's like prepping a challenger of the month or whatever, usually does a decent job of making it kind of interesting, even if you don't expect Roman to lose. But the trouble with that is... Progressively, and especially in the last seven or eight months or so, it's getting to the point where it's like, well, okay, if it's not now, when? Yeah. What is going to be a worthy way of dethroning Roman Reigns? When it was like starting up, he'd have his 
programs with Kevin Owens and Cesaro and Rey Mysterio and Edge and they'd all be fun. And like then when you got more to the business end of things, it started to get less and less convincing that you're going to get anything out of this besides a Roman victory and the same old, same old. My only positive from this match is we're going to get a new belt out of it. Because essentially it's a unification match. So if it's a unification match, there's no way that they're going to unify the brands. They're going to have to bring another belt to Raw or SmackDown. Do they bring back Mr. Golden? Everyone loves the World Heavyweight belt. Oh yeah, that's a thing of beauty. I know that that would please a lot of fans, bringing that back. Because the other thing for me as well, having Roman as someone so high and someone who is the bar or the needle mover, as he likes to say. What does that even mean? Like a drug pusher? Probably. He's only got the universal title. He's not the world heavyweight champion. So for me, this whole storyline needed to work with Roman with the world heavyweight title, not the universal title, because the universal title is new. It's not as prestigious. Bit too toyetic, I guess. Yeah, and people might say, well, they've put it on Roman to build its prestige. No, the World Heavyweight title or the WWE Championship, they're the two that have the prestige and they can only get better. That Universal title means nothing. That Universal title was just created for the new draft. I've gone on my soapbox for quite a while now. I'll be quiet now. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's fine. I'm just generally not that excited about Wrestlemania season right now no no I'm sure we'll we'll rant again at some point later on but yeah there's a reason we're going through retro wrestling again yeah absolutely and you know me Doug I will stand by WWE let's show the world the power of world wrestling entertainment let's stand up for WWE this is why I air my frustrations on this podcast because of stuff like this. And hopefully it will get better, you'd like to think. But we've said that for years, so we'll see. We'll have to see, yeah. All right, on to Sunday Night Heat. This aired on July 8th, 2001. Context for this is WCW have been bought. They're started kind of invading the WWF and Linda McMahon had officially sanctioned WCW matches to take place on WWF television. So this is the first ever edition of Sunday Night Heat that featured matches from WCW. Earlier in that week you'd had Buff Bagwell and Booker T fight for the WCW title on Raw Billy Kidman beat Shane Helms for the Cruiserweight title on SmackDown. And what we've got headlining this show here is a WCW Tag Team title match. But to kick things off, oh Kyle, that intro, that brings back memories, man. All the memories. I loved it. This is kind of like the cool MTV Heat rebrand with the Flame logo. and That's great. Oh yeah. Our commentary team are Jonathan Coachman and Michael Hayes. And Coach talks about Vince having a hellacious week, being literally caught with his pants down. 
What do you make to these guys? A very strange pairing. Yeah, I can see that. Like, Michael Hayes always annoyed me. And Coach is very kind of wet behind the ears. Yeah. Do you notice, at one point in this first match, if you listen to the commentary, Hayes is ranting at Coach about Linda McMahon commissioning all this WCW stuff. But if you look at the picture, you see Jonathan Coachman is the one doing the talking. Ah, okay. So there's lots of, like, overdub here, or, like, things that get mixed in in post-production, and it's really kind of jarring. Incidentally, Kyle, in America, Sunday Night Heat had a much different format. It was Taz and Michael Cole in WWF New York, and they do live commentary on top of these same matches. They play this exact same footage on Heat in America, and you'd see Coach and Hayes at the table there, but you've got a totally different commentary team. That's really strange. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not too dissimilar to how WCW do worldwide, where they're like, oh, look, it's the internet and outs table. (laughs) So speaking of our first match, it sees Hardcore Holly taking on Raven. And Hayes says WCW is inferior to the WWF, and Coach doesn't necessarily disagree with that. And I don't think we do either, on the basis of our previous show. (laughs) Hayes then accuses Raven of being a thief because of the way he dresses. Somebody's working through some kind of trauma there. Yeah. We get chops by Hardcore, but Raven fired back with the rebound clothesline a knee lift and a clothesline over the top rope. He sends Holly into the steps, but the camera panned away so that the front row fans were in the way of it. I think as a way of getting around two hardcore spots for the time frame, this was a little more sophisticated than WCW's solution, don't you think? Yeah. Oh. We then get some very obvious editing as the lads are suddenly running towards the opposite corner from where their Irish whip had started. Bob hits the front power slam for two and then Raven's sunset flip also gets a two count. Bob does his trademark gut kick with Raven draped on the top rope that Cody would later nick. And then he blocks the bulldog with a back suplex. Hayes brings up the inaugural brawl that will happen at Invasion but doesn't think it will be much of a match. Wait to sell your pay-per-view, mate! They're trying to sell it, so you watch it. Tune in to see WWF have a cakewalk on pay-per-view. Yeah, fuck off. (laughs) I was clawing there. I was trying my best. (laughs) Holly hits his excellent dropkick, but then Raven got his foot on the rope on the cover, and Hardcore starts arguing with the referee which gives Raven chance to recover and hit the DDT for the free count. Raven wins in a match that was largely wrestled to a fine standard, but that edit took me out of it. Yeah, very strange. I mean, I enjoyed the match. Anything's better than WCW. I've said this before, I really like Raven's entrance music. Mm, yeah. No, I totally understand, Kyle. This is instantly in like a similar sort of league to the best of what we got from WCW. Yeah. Coach then mentions that Chris Benoit is out injured, 
for between 6 to 12 months following his neck surgery. And unfortunately, the package that he froze to has been edited out of the upload that we're working on here. You can find this show freely available on YouTube, by the way. And that's another thing that we can post you the link for if you need it. But I remember this package and they were trying to make out that the King of the Ring was where he got injured rather than the TLC match the month before, which was what did more of the damage. Our second match sees Jerry Lynn take on the Japanese buzzsaw, Tajiri. What do you make to Tajiri, Kyle? I really enjoyed Tajiri when he was in WWF. I really liked his mist. I thought that was really cool. And I liked the idea that Asuka used that as well. And I also liked his spider submission on the ropes. The tarantula, yes. That's it, the tarantula. I knew the name was a spider and I was like, sure, yeah, the tarantula. I think he's really cool. Loved him as a wrestler. He's kind of like one of the last guys to move over from ECW and he made a really big impression. 2001's a good year for him. We'll only see fits and starts of it, but I enjoyed him tremendously. He was obviously billed as this martial arts wrestler, but I feel that Tajiri was very much packaged in the right way compared to maybe other wrestlers that have come over from the East. There were elements of comedy to his character sometimes, but it didn't veer into something that was insulting. Yeah. And, yeah, he was a really good wrestler, really adept at lots of different aspects of wrestling, like the kicks and the flying, and he added a lot of value to the WWF, I think. Did you see he kind of seemed to moonwalk when he got into the ring? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He's a cool guy. Hayes mentioned the Dudleys lost a handicap match to Y2J, and he accuses Jericho of being the mole. Kyle, do you remember this whole business surrounding the mole? I'm not so sure. That was supposedly someone sabotaging the WWF from within in favour of Shane McMahon. Ah, yes. I do remember them all now. I don't think they actually existed, but the lead culprit was Test, and everyone was so insistent that Test was the mole, he eventually said, oh, fuck it, I'll join WCW anyway. (laughs) That's like, in later years, the... Laptop GM, the virtual GM. Oh, God. It was absolutely nobody that was the GM. (laughs) Well, it eventually turned out to be Hornswoggle, but then that got retconned, and I don't know who the fuck it actually wound up being. We kick things off with some good, fast wrestling, and then Tajiri drop kicks Lynn mid leapfrog, ducked a clothesline, and hit an awesome spinning kick. Some weirdo in the front row, in white breeches, a tie-dye shirt, and a military hat, does a bow to Tajiri to thank him for the wrestling. Sit down, you freak. <laughs> Jerry escapes a tarantula, then hooks Tajiri in an upside-down gory stretch. Tajiri escapes and fires up with kicks, but a third is ducked, and Lynn gets a German suplex for a two-count. 
He then does a racist impression of Tajiri, gets a total world backbreaker for two. A second German suplex is somersaulted out of, and Tajiri follows up with a Hurricane Rana, spinning heel kick and handspring elbow for a near fall. Then Lin eats a kick to the gut coming off a second rope, and Tajiri hits the buzzsaw kick, which gets the free count. Tajiri's your winner here. What did you think, Kyle? I really enjoyed that match. I thought that it was a nice mix for both wrestlers. Yeah, he got an easy watch for a heat match. Quite surprised. Yeah, totally. This was lovely work for the time they were allotted here. Really hard hitting. Lynn got to do a few of his neat touches while still putting over Tajiri and all of his trademark spots as well. So a nice bit of action. Exactly what I'm after out of a nice, easy TV match. Coach then talks about Vince McMahon being remorseful on SmackDown. Again, the recap was edited out. I think the segment that they were showing here was Vince begging for forgiveness because he got trapped by Tori Wilson and Linda, like set up in a compromising position, shall we say. William Regal came out and consoled him and then Vince decided, oh yeah, he's actually happy the way he is. So it accomplished nothing, that segment, from the sounds of it. And I don't know why that was chosen to be recapped. Mm. Usually on Heat, when they show something from SmackDown or from Raw, it's actually something a bit useful and exciting. Maybe even like a portion of a match. But that, why is that important? Very odd. The third match of the show is Rhino taking on K-Quick. Hey, truth. I was furious because commentary just kept on talking over K-Quick's rap. <laughs> oh, interesting tidbit here. Hayes says that Rhino will get a rematch against Mike Awesome at Invasion for the Hardcore title. File that under things that never happened. Coach says that Rhino beat Test to get the title shot, but it was because the APA in the WWF locker room had beaten up Test thinking he was the mole. We get a nice jumping sidekick and a Hurricane Rana by Quick, who then does the splits and gets a crossbody for a two count. A dropkick sends Rhino to the outside, but Rhino recovers and sends him into the apron and starts working over the ribs. His top rope headbutt missed, and K-Quick got a super kick, a flip-flop and fly, head scissors, and a flatliner for a two count. Unfortunately, his somersaulting out of the corner left him open for the gore, gore, gore! And that gets Ryan over win in another fun match. I thought it was lots of cool stuff from K-Quick, but to be honest, I was expecting way more from Rhino here. He was the guy that was really getting the push at this time, and he was kind of surprisingly anonymous. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. You'd think with someone who's getting a push that they would at least highlight that a little more. I appreciate that he isn't necessarily with the bigger audiences, if you will. But yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say that there should have been a, a bigger push. No, for sure. Like He was mostly taking all of K-Quick's spots. Mm. Unusual, considering he's like this unhinged man-beast or whatever. This next bit I have really, really vivid memories of, and it takes me right back. So Coach and Hayes begrudgingly leave the announce table for the main event, 
because it's going to be all WCW branded and since it's a WCW sanctioned match, they're going to have Scott Hudson and Arn Anderson from WCW take over to announce the match. They take their place when we come back from commercial and it's time for our main event. The WCW tag team titles are on the line. The champions Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare are defending against Sean Stasiak and Chris Canyon. The ring's got a WCW spotlight beamed onto it and the rampway does as well and they've even put a WCW watermark in the corner instead of the WWF and all of the show graphics are themed around that new WCW logo that they made since the buyout. I don't know about you, Kyle. I thought it looked kind of cheap. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. It did. How do you feel about the presentation overall? Not too bad, actually, for the time that it was on. But I, I don't know. It just didn't seem to fit right. Yeah, but a little bit of a square peg in the round hole kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that new logo. I loved the spaceship logo that everybody else shits on. So this kind of seemed like a bit of a step down and a bit more infantile. Yeah. I kind of like most of the guys in this ring, but I thought it was funny. Hudson admits that Canyon and Stasiak are teaming up for the first time in this match. That's a bit bold. Yeah. These two men have never wrestled together as a team before, but they somehow deserve a shot at the World Tag Team titles. (laughs) Aaron Anderson is putting over the conditioning of the champions and Hudson likes their intensity as well. We get a big leapfrog and dropkick by Palumbo, followed by Power Slam for two. The champs spiked Canyon right on his head doing a double arm ringer. That was a bit unlucky. Canyon blocked a clothesline into a netbreaker and tagged in Stasiak, who hit a leaping back elbow. But then he wound up eating a knee lift and a leapfrog double team from the champions. O'Hare got angry at Canyon, which drew in the ref, and in the distraction... Canyon interrupted a corner 10 punch with a second rope Russian leg sweep. I loved Canyon's innovation, like he'd do all kinds of cool stuff in the ring. I had high hopes for him. Stasiak capitalised with a gut wrench for a two count. Canyon then gave Palumbo a massive wedgie, hoisting him up for a flatliner. But another Russian leg sweep is immediately followed up with an elbow from Stasiak and the reverse DDT, which gets a near fall. Palumbo suplexes out of a sleeper, which allows him to get the hot tag to O'Hare. He levels both lads with jumping, spinning heel kicks. Then Palumbo shit-cans Stasiak. They drop-kick Canyon into the buckle whilst O'Hare held him up in a like heartbreaker position. And then eventually the super kick to Stasiak is followed by the F5 by O'Hare to Canyon. And that gets the win. The champions retain. What do you think of this, Kyle? It was very strange seeing the F5. I know, yeah. Do you know what? It was actually alright for a main event tag match on a B show. I didn't mind it at all. And the idea that the WCW belts were on there, you know, it's... Sort of the only place at the time that they had to showcase that. So why not put it as their main event? Yeah, it was alright. It wasn't the best, but it was watchworthy at least. Yeah, I thought this was a very likeable match. 
mostly kept with the same kind of standard of wrestling we've seen all throughout this show. It kind of turned into just moves and moves and moves, but they threw in some really interesting stuff in there, and this is the kind of thing that always tends to happen when you got Chris Canyon in there. He's a genius for cool-looking offence. I feel like this is a noticeable step up from anything that was on the actual WCW show. Yeah. I don't know whether it's like working with different agents or just having a bit of a fire under them being in this weird scenario on WWF television, but they worked really hard to get some eye-catching stuff in the time that they were given. Yeah, definitely. And I think that rounded off a really fun episode of Heat. I think it was pretty consistent in terms of the quality of wrestling. Tajiri and Jerry Lynn was my favourite match. I don't know about you, Kyle. What did you think of the show? I really enjoyed it. Each match served its purpose, and I feel like it was way better than WCW's version of their, you know, B-show, if you will. I'll agree. You don't get the very top-level stars that you do on Worldwide, but then again, when your WCW and all you're doing with DDP and Scott Steiner is you either put them in a really routine match or you put them in a match that's tad beneath their position, then what's the point, really? You're not really losing out by not having the big stars on this show because everybody that was featured looked pretty good and interesting. And, yeah, I really enjoyed all of these matches, quite frankly. Yeah. So I think we can both agree that WWF kind of got the edge over WCW here. (laughs) The edge. I would go way more than the edge, but yeah, we'll say edge. (laughs) They got the edge and Christian over WCW here? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully that kind of gives you a closer look at the state of WCW before we got into the buyout and before we reach our next show on the Tape Trader Diaries, which will be WWF Invasion, the biggest non-WrestleMania pay-per-view in US pay-per-view history. I'm so excited for this. My second show recorded from Channel 4. I'm freaking pumped, Kyle. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting. It's always good to build up hope that we're going to get something like this again. The sheer prospect of wrestlers that I enjoy from multiple companies coming together and getting this kind of super show was just really exciting for me and I've got lots of happy memories. Some dodgy ones too, but you know, we'll get to that next time. Yep. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at TNW underscore podcast. And you can also give us a like on Facebook. You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also give us a rating on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify or a review on Apple Podcasts that will really help get the show get around. You can find a playlist of all of our past episodes on our SoundCloud page as well as a playlist of all of my guest appearances on the Roy's Nitro podcast. So that'll wrap everything up for this show. It's a goodbye from Kyle. Thanks again for listening. And it's a goodbye from me. I'll catch you down the road.